Well, starting next week, we will be working through the New Testament book of James, verse by verse. I believe we're going to find a high degree of relevancy in this book uh, in terms of where we're at in our history as a church and how we need to go forward. I'm pretty excited about how I think we'll be able to mature and advance through this study of God's Word together. But today, we're going to talk about something else. Today, on the first Sunday of the new year, we're going to talk about one of the most important things you could ever learn to do. That is, if you really want to experience life change as a follower of Jesus. Today, we're going to talk about everybody's favorite subject, tithing. You can uh, fill in the blank in the sermon title now. Um, The word is tithe. Time to tithe? That's the title. And notice the question mark. That's there because I want you to ask yourself this question today. Is it time to tithe? This message is going to be really pointed for some. While there are quite a few others who will be able to listen passively. Listen passively. Yeah, in other words... I'm sort of preaching directly to a certain portion of the crowd today. See, some of you already tithe, so you don't really need to ask this question. You won't be squirming in your seats because you already do this. Others of you are guests, either just visiting, considering this as a possible church home. I think we're trending away right now from that for you probably as we go into this topic. Um, (laughs) Maybe you're not even a a follower of Jesus. In either case, I'm not really preaching directly to you either. So you can just sit back and enjoy watching others squirm in their seats. The last thing I would want a guest to think is that I'm asking for your money. I am not. Tithing is something for people who have the joy of knowing God has saved them from sin, who have committed themselves to a specific local church, and who want to invest in the work of that church. So again, guests can listen passively. But that brings me to the rest of you. Ah, <laughs> uh, the rest of you. Those who are committed to Christ and who even call this your church home, yet do not currently tithe. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> it's likely over half of you here this morning. And this message is tailor-made just for you. Aren't you excited? (laughs) To tithe is to give 10% of your income back to God. Wait, what? 10%? Yeah, that's what the word means. That's what the word tithe means. It's actually a fraction. Tithe is tenth. The tithe is God's tenth. 10% of what we earn. That's what we're going to discuss very candidly this morning. Inside their head, somebody just said, oh. See, it doesn't take a genius to know that those who do not tithe, and certainly those who give little or nothing to the church, would much prefer a different topic. Ignorance is bliss, right? Some of you may have never heard of a church asking its members to donate 10% of their income. Are you kidding me? 10%? See, church people need to try to remember how this sounds to someone who hasn't grown up with this. 
sounds completely ridiculous. People are accustomed to Christian radio stations and world hunger relief organizations asking for 30 bucks a month. But 10%? That's just crazy. Sounds crazy to those who've not been taught or not in the habit of tithing. Good grief, a tithe is probably more than a car payment. Are you kidding me? Someone could say that all of this puts me in a tough spot because, of course, I don't want to offend people or have people not come back over what I say. We do a lot uh, to get people to, to come try our church. And I'd just as soon have a new family in attendance for more than one service. I don't want to run you off with my words. After all, nobody ever left Jesus over anything he said, right? <laughs> Wrong. He was always thinning the crowd with his words. By the end, a throng of thousands had become about 120 crammed in an upper room. Maybe you thought Jesus didn't teach anything about money. Maybe you thought surely the long-haired, sandal-footed, robe-wearing, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, didn't dare tell, to tell people what to do with their own money. Didn't Jesus mostly talk about how to have peace, love, and joy like a river? Um, the answer is no. <laughs> the fact is that over <clears throat> one half of all the parables that Jesus told had to do with money. Did you catch that? Over half of his teaching stories were about money or, or material possessions. One out of every six verses in Matthew, Mark, and Luke deal with financial principles. Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven. More about money than he did about hell. Isn't that interesting? Why did my foremost example in teaching and preaching, and the one who Christians claim to follow, talk so much about money? Jesus clearly knew the tremendous influence and power that money would have over our lives. We spend so much of our time earning it, worrying about it, talking about it, wanting more of it. Jesus knew the future. He knew the idolatry of the future would not be worship of golden statues, but of green paper, plastic cards, or even digital currency. But more importantly, the things they can buy. So he talked about it a lot. For example, Jesus said this, Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts, wallets, purses, which do not wear out. An, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Let's focus on that last part. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus said this. That means it's true. And I'll tell you from experience that until a significant portion of your treasure is invested in his kingdom, your heart will be somewhere else. There's no getting around this absolute principle. Where your money is, there your heart will be. Also, notice the order. Jesus doesn't say that if you get your heart in the right place, your money will follow. He doesn't say that at all, does he? This is huge. Jesus says, put your treasure to work for God and your heart will follow. So when it comes to getting our hearts right before God, it starts with an act of the will, with discipline. And the result is a changed heart. Some of us know just how true that is when it comes to money because we have experienced it. 
Put your treasure into something first, and your heart will follow. So, where is your treasure mostly invested? Have you substantially invested in God's kingdom, His work on earth? Where your treasure is, there you will find your heart. Hashtag truth. But if you were to really get serious about this as a family, and and if you were to sit around your kitchen table and make life-changing decisions about what you're going to do in this area of your life, eventually you would come to a very practical question. Eventually you would want to know how much, wouldn't you? I mean, what's the bottom line? How much of my treasure, my resources, my income is to be invested in the heavenly cause in order for my heart to be where it needs to be? Good news, we're not left to guess. God asked for a tithe, a tenth, 10%. He could have asked for more. And sometimes he does. But at least we know exactly where to start. Maybe even for you. I'm not really looking at anybody in particular. Maybe even for you. <laughs> looking over your heads. Maybe even for you it's time to tithe. Would you consider with me for a few moments? Again, moving on next week. We'll be done with this for probably a year. Would you consider for a few moments if it is time to tithe? And I hear the voices in your head. See, I told you the church is all about money. Well, only in as much as God is about money. And God is mostly only about money in as much as he wants your heart to be with him. Most people have a lot of questions about tithing. So what I'm going to do is guess at what some of those questions might be and try to answer them from Scripture. Question number one. Where did the idea of tithing come from? The short answer is the idea came from God. Please remember that. The first tithe we know of was given by Abraham to a very special priest named Melchizedek. Represented God on earth. And maybe even more than represented God. Let me read the account from Genesis chapter 14. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, which means peace, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God Most High. He blessed him, Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. He, Abraham, gave him, Melchizedek, a tenth of all. He gave him a tenth of all. The foundational book of the Bible is Genesis. The word Genesis means beginnings. And all the way back at the beginning. In chapter 14 of Genesis, we find that the man of faith, Abraham, was compelled to donate 10% to God's representative on earth. Literally thousands of years ago, Abraham gave 10% to Melchizedek, but the question is, what motivated him to do so? The Bible calls Melchizedek a priest, but the crazy thing is that the priesthood had not been invented yet. So what does it really mean that Melchizedek was a priest? Why did Abraham just randomly decide to give this guy who shows up from nowhere 10%? Could there be a timeless principle here? Well, the Jews thought so. Those who were chosen to be God's family on earth came to understand that this scene meant much more than what we might notice in the first reading. Listen to what the New Testament writer of Hebrews had to say about this part of Abraham's story. Fasten your mental seatbelts. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, 
to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils was first of all by the translation of his name king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means, king of righteousness. And then also king of Salem, which is king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, he remains a priest perpetually. Now observe how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the choice of spoils. And those indeed of the sons of Levi who received the priest's office have commanded in the law to collect a tenth from the people. So we see that Melchizedek was an earthly representative of God, but more than that, he is spoken of with eternal terms. Did you see that? He is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Who is that? He has no father or mother and no genealogy, neither beginning of days nor end of life. That's what it says. Who are we talking about here? Who is our perpetual and eternal high priest according to New Testament teaching? Jesus. I believe Melchizedek was actually the Lord Jesus Christ in his pre-flesh or pre-incarnate form, visiting the earth just as he did several other times in the Old Testament. God the Father has never been seen by man. But God the Son is a different story. I believe the second person of the Trinity was always the one who visited the earth, even before being born in Bethlehem. As Colossians says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. This is a huge, mind-blowing topic. But right now the point is that according to the writer of Hebrews, Abraham believed he was making an offering to God by offering, by making an offering to Melchizedek. His response to the experience was to immediately give 10% of all that he had as an act of worship. I wonder if Jesus showed up this morning, would more of us put our 10% in the box? Apparently 10% just seemed to be the right amount to Abraham. It was just the way he responded. Apparently it was the right amount because later God nailed a tenth down as his expectation. Abraham's was an inspiring act of worship, set a precedent for all those who by faith would be considered children of Abraham, the family of God, going forward. And who are to be considered children of Abraham in modern times? According to the New Testament, those who make up the true church of Jesus Christ, whether believing Jews or believing Gentiles, are now to be considered the children of Abraham, the family of God. And as has been the case with all of God's people before us, I believe we're called to follow Abraham's example in giving a tithe back to God. Sadly, certain famous Christian leaders can be found on YouTube um, saying we no longer need to feel compelled to tithe. And their main point is that the tithe is part of the law from which we are freed in Christ. But that's not actually true. Please note the tithe preceded the law. In fact, it would seem this part of the law was based on something that happened long before, which I just read to you. The tithe came before the law. The Ten Commandments and all of that that was received by Moses came before Abraham was way before Moses. That would seem to suggest that the tithe transcends 
the law. The tithe was a spiritual response of worship to the presence and the blessing of God before the law, and therefore I believe it still applies. It's a principle. It's a best practice at the very least. Even though we're now freed from the law of Christ, and for the record being freed from the law does not mean we just throw it out or don't use it as a, as a guideline anymore. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go on to our second question. What is the point of tithing? What was the point according to the Bible? We know that later after the priesthood was called for by God and religious services were established, the tithe was used to provide for the priests and to pay for the worship service, to build the buildings uh, they used for worship <clears throat> generally, uh, to fund God's work on earth. But was that really the ultimate purpose of the tithe? Was the point of tithing simply to fund religious services at the tabernacle, later the temple, and, and now the church? Or was there something deeper to it from the beginning? We find our answer in Deuteronomy 14.23, where we are told that the tithe helps us to respect and revere, or your translation may say fear, but to respect and revere the Lord as God. Tithing is part of how we show that He is not only the God, but that He is our God. One paraphrase puts it like this, the purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. If you don't remember anything else I say today, remember that. I first learned to tithe on my allowance as a kid. I got $1 each week, and I gave 10 cents in the offering on Sundays. It was part of why we went to give our offering. In fact, that's the whole reason my parents started giving me an allowance, to teach me to tithe. They told us that. Why would they do that? Did they think my 10 cents is really going to make a big difference? Did they think my dime would help the church pay the pastor, buy new hymn books back then, or, or feed the poor, or provide for a missionary? Not really. They did it for one reason. So I would learn to always put God first in my life. And I'm here to tell you there's probably not one thing they ever taught me that was more important than that. Secondarily, tithing makes each church member an equal participant in what the church is doing together. It's the exciting part of tithing. A person who gives $1,000 a year to the church because his income is $10,000 a year is an equal participant with one who gives $10,000 per year because his income is $100,000. The two are completely equal in their share of God's work through the church. You know, sometimes in the world, people with less are made to feel like less. But it should not be so in the church. A poor person who tithes is a bigger part of God's work than a rich person who gives thousands, yet not 10%. One is obedient, the other is not. See, God is more interested in what tithing does for your spiritual life than He is with any particular amount of money. According to the Bible, the point of tithing is to put God first in your life. Third question, is the tithe still required in the New Testament or the New Covenant? That's the second part of the Bible as well as this time that we're living in. Some people conveniently 
believed the tithe should be left in the past along with the ceremonial and civil laws of Israel as if it were relegated only to the sacrificial system or the laws regulating the nation of Israel. I've already touched on this, but I want to say a little bit more about it. There's something very important that we need to understand about the Old Testament. That's the part of the Bible written before Jesus came. There are honestly some rules and regulations in the Old Testament that were time-specific and no longer apply. But there are also rules and guidelines that are timeless principles based on the unchanging character of God. For example, we don't need to know how to properly sacrifice a goat since the sacrificial system was fulfilled in Christ on the cross. And we don't need to continue celebrating certain Jewish festivals, and yes, circumcision is now totally optional. However, I'm pretty sure thou shalt not murder still applies. What's the difference? The difference is that the other things I mentioned were intended for a certain people in a certain time for a temporary purpose, and they were fulfilled in Christ on the cross. But the injunction against murder, for example, is part of God's moral law, timeless, universal. Besides that, it was reaffirmed by Christ in His teaching. So when reading the Old Testament, how do we know what literally still applies to us in the church and what does not? Well, we have to use our brains. Often common sense is all you need. You you can start by simply simply asking yourself, am I reading about something specific to Israel and to Jews, something that Jesus basically fulfilled, finished off on the cross, or am I reading about an issue of morality or something tied to God's unchanging character? And is this pretty obviously something He would want from His people? for all times. If that doesn't tell you, check and see what Jesus said about it. Let's look at an example. In the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi wrote this, Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house, and test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Now let me just ask you, if you know Jesus as your Savior and you read those first four words from the mouth of God, and you use some common sense, do you really come out thinking, eh, it probably doesn't apply to me? Or do you more likely feel conviction instead? I contend that it would be very difficult for a spirit-filled believer to read this, will a man rob God, and surmise that God doesn't really care any more about that. Is there still a need for us to put God first? Or did that pass away with the ceremonial and civil laws of Israel? Is there still a financial need in the place where God's people gather? Or is the church supposed to somehow function without finances? Does God still deserve your first 10% or does he no longer deserve it? Do you really think that after 4,000 years of tithes, God intended for his people to start giving some lesser amount because Jesus came? And if so, how much? How much is cool with God now? 5%? 20 bucks here and there? Is your best guess good enough or are you better off going ahead with what's called for in Scripture? And what if I told you the New Testament is not silent 
on the tithe? What if Jesus himself even affirmed it? I've actually had people tell me, well, you know, the New Testament never says we should tithe. Wrong. That's simply not true. Jesus himself affirmed the tithe. He didn't say, eh, whatever you, whatever you want to give, it's fine. No. Matthew and Luke both tell us about a scene where Jesus literally said tithing should not be neglected. Matthew 22, Luke 11. Jesus said people should not neglect the tithe. That wasn't his primary point. It was kind of parenthetical, but he said it. Looking at earth, uh, early uh, church history, it appears that the tithe was continued. I'm, I don't think that it was an incentive to join the church. Hey, you don't have to tithe anymore. Come on over, let's do this thing. Uh, the Jews that were converting, they would have continued to tithe. Actually, if you read the stories in Acts, you find that they gave much more than 10% after converting Christ. They were selling property and laying it at the, the feet of the leaders of the church. That's what we read about in Acts. When you read the stories, it would seem they were prone to give 100% at times. I'm not sure why we think we can just decide 2,000 years later the tithe is really that's an Old Testament thing. Never to have been continued in the church. I, this pastor thinks that's baloney. Is that clear? Okay, good. It's just, that's just me. I'm not going to, I mean, if you disagree, hey, let's be friends. But this is, this is, that's, I got to preach what I believe the Bible teaches. And I think followers of Jesus should continue to tithe. And then some. Fourth question. What should I give, why should I give my tithe to the church? Why to the church? Let's go back to Melchizedek for a moment. Abraham gave his tenth to him. Abraham didn't just throw his 10% to the wind or, or burn it as an offering or give it directly to the poor or wherever he thought it was needed. He gave it to Melchizedek, who was at the least a representative of Christ and at most Christ himself, depending on your interpretation. Regardless, he was definitely God's representative on earth at the time. He was called a priest of God was before the tabernacle, before the temple, but already there's this earthly representative of God on earth, and this is where Abraham gives his tithe. He gives his 10% to this mediary between God and man. This go-between, this priest, it was a type of Christ, in the appearance at least, of a man. Now, how is Jesus Christ represented in the world today? He's represented by His church. We're called the body of Christ. We are the entity Jesus left behind to represent himself to the world. Sometimes we don't do a very good job of it, but that's another subject. As Abraham tithed to the eternal priest made like the Son of God, we tithe to the priesthood of believers known as the church of Jesus Christ. Remember, the church wasn't man's idea. It was God's idea. The Bible says the church is the family of God, his ambassadors, his children, the very body of Christ. Make no mistake, giving to the church is giving to Christ. And if you don't think your church is part of the body of Christ, better find one that is. Practically speaking, how else would you plan to give your tithes to God? Would you make up your own rules? Would you give, give to some other cause hoping God is okay with it? Listen, the church is not just one of many helpful organizations that you could consider supporting. The church is the body of Christ, the hope of the world. And by the way, that hope is not found in temporal things, but eternal things. The hope of the world is in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the church. That brings me to the fifth question. How is my tithe spent? 
Well, I can't digress into a budget meeting, but if you want to know more specifically, church members are welcome to a copy of our budget at any time. Our finance team puts together an annual budget every year. Members vote on it in our December business meeting, which just recently occurred. Generally speaking, we do a lot of amazing things. I couldn't begin to tell you all the good things your tithes pay for, but I'll try to mention a few. For starters, world hunger, orphans, local hunger, homeless ministry, disaster relief, you name it, one way or another, we are either doing it ourselves or we're sending funds to those who are. And better yet, in virtually every case we support, the gospel is being shared with the help that is being given. You should know that Go Church is part of something called the cooperative program. We give to this program through the Northwest Baptist Convention of Churches, which in turn is part of the very large Southern Baptist Convention. Resources from around 50,000 churches are combined and used to do things we could never do on our own. That's why it's called a cooperative program. We fund thousands of missionaries, thousands. We plant thousands of churches. We provide millions in disaster relief, fund Christian education, provide world hunger relief, and on and on it goes. Currently, 9%, of all of your tithes and offerings go into this program to advance the kingdom of God all over the world. And you should know that we don't give much to organizations that aren't really about the gospel. I mean, you could do that as individuals. I, I do that sometimes. But, but the church, that's not what we're about. The main thing for the church of Jesus Christ is spreading the gospel, which is the hope of glory to all those who put their trust in Him. Being used of God to change people's eternal destiny is what Go Church is about. And while helping them with the temporal does open doors to deal with that, make no mistake, we're doing something here that no secular organization can do. We are advancing the kingdom of God on earth. We're helping people move from the kingdom of darkness, darkness to the kingdom of light. Listen to this. In our first year of existence, just had our first year anniversary a couple months ago. In our first year of existence, Go Church appropriated over $30,000 to missions and evangelism. That figure doesn't even include advertising. And we budgeted even more for missions and evangelism for 2020. Missions and evangelism, advancing the kingdom of God, the gospel out there all over the world. We are an outward-focused church. Your giving does not just keep the lights on around here. But you know, on that note, virtually every single thing we do costs money. That's the day we live in, right? We don't, we're not still in Walnut Grove. I, I wish we were. Okay, Walnut Grove. Little house, little house on the prairie. I'd love to go back, but that's not where we live. Renting this building costs money. All the tools that help us worship, help us accomplish God's vision here and abroad costs money. Children's ministry costs money. We provide for our pastors and staff, which requires money. It costs a lot to provide for a staff here in Ridgefield. You guys know cost of living is high. Did you know the Bible actually commands churches to provide for pastors from the tithes and offerings of the church? Maybe you thought that was like a modern development. Not at all. Let me share a little bit about this. There are several passages, but here's one. The Apostle Paul makes this case to a church, the church at Corinth. He says, what soldier has to pay his own expenses? What farmer plants a vineyard and doesn't have the right to eat some of its fruit? What shepherd cares for a flock of sheep and isn't allowed to drink some of the milk? Sheep milk? Doesn't sound like great. Am I expressing merely a human opinion, or does the law say the same thing? For the law of Moses says, you must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating its 
as it treads out the grain. Was God thinking only about oxen when He said this? Wasn't He actually speaking to us? Yes. It was written for us so that the one who plows and the one who threshes the grain might both expect a share of the harvest. Since we have planted spiritual seed among you, aren't we entitled to harvest a physical food and drink? Don't you realize that those who work in the temple get their meals from the offerings brought to the temple, and those who serve at the altar get a share of the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord ordered that those who preach the good news should be supported by those who benefit from it. Also in 1 Timothy 5.17, Paul indicates that those pastors who work hard at preaching and teaching are actually worthy of what he calls double honor. And in context, what he means is double pay. Not literally double, but he means they should be paid more because of the level of responsibility. In the Old Testament, the tithe was given mostly in order to provide for the priests and Levites because they, like us, spent their time doing God's work. They were not expected to work elsewhere or provide for themselves in any other way. In fact, they weren't allowed to do so. They were to be wholly devoted to the work of God, and the family of God was to provide for them. And so I want to be upfront that one of the things your tithe provides is a good income for your pastors and staff. Now, just so you know, in case anybody needs to know, it's not like it goes up and down based on your giving. It's a set amount, okay? If everybody decides to tithe today, my pay is not going up. There's nothing, you know, that's not the way it works. It's all set. But it does provide for your pastors and staff. You have two full-time pastors and two part-time ministry directors, one over youth, one over music, worship. Uh, On behalf of myself and the rest of our staff and our families, I'd like to thank you for providing for us. We thank you and, and our families thank you. The only way this happens is through the faithful tithing of a bunch of people sitting in this room right now. And it's a very biblical thing to do, and we thank you. Sixth question. Should I pay off my debt before tithing? Short answer, no. (laughs) The Bible has a lot to say about debt, and I'll save that for another sermon. But know this, debt does not absolve you of your prior obligation for God. The tithe was always to be given of the first fruits, um, not the last fruits. The tithe's not if anything happens to be left, but rather it's to be given before you even assess how you'll pay for everything else. It's God's money, and if you keep it, you can go back to Malachi 3, not my words, will a man rob God? It's really very simple. God comes first. There's no earthly reason to put him off. Did I mention some of you weren't going to like this sermon? Let's take a breath. Listen, if it's just me and you like talking or something, you know, I, I, I'm not going to come across this strong, right? I'm going to be like, hey, you know, we probably want to work into it a little bit, you know, start at 2% and then try to raise it every year. And, you know, and, or, you know, you, you and the Lord, I, I would be more gracious. I would probably, but I'm trying to, I'm preaching right now. I'm, I'm, I'm up, this just means something up here. We don't really call it a pulpit anymore, but I'm up here and, and I'm just supposed to tell you what the Word of God says, right? Um, and so... That's what I'm trying to do. I have my own areas I'm working on. I'm not judging you. I don't know anyway. I don't know. I don't look. So it's between you and God because I don't know. I'm just telling you. I'm just trying to preach the word of God. Let's get to some better news. And we're going to ask the seventh question. What will faithful tithing mean for my life? 
Look back again, Malachi 3.10. God isn't joking when he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me now in this. Test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. You may have heard this before, but the tithe is the only thing that God ever tells you to test him on. And he promises to respond to the test. Now, sometimes it takes a while to see the benefit. God wants to make sure you're serious. And I'm telling you, I've proven this over and over, and I've heard many, many testimonies to this effect, that tithing ultimately brings financial blessing into your life. Warning, warning, health and wealth, prosperity gospel. Okay, we have to stop throwing the baby out with the bathwater, folks. This is not the prosperity gospel. This is Malachi 3, 8 through 10. Bring in the whole tithe and see if I will not pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. It's a direct quote, not from Osteen or somebody, okay, but from God. I'm not fond of cliches, but this one is true. You cannot outgive God. And, and there's, see, the thing is, there's a reason it's true. There's a reason it's true. You cannot outgive God because when He sees that you're faithful in how you handle your money, He gives you more to handle. Why would He do that? So that more of what He wants done can get done through you. God is a very wise investor. He puts His resources where they'll, where they'll best be used. You know, maybe we should not find so much fault when Christian leaders do well in that case. What do you think? Some people are really, really worried about that. I don't know. Abraham had a lot. I don't, but maybe someday I will. You just don't judge me because God, because he comes through when we're faithful. Get, a, get me one of them four GTs one of these days. <laughs> no, no, I wouldn't. That'd be over the top. Maybe a Shelby, though. That, that. <laughs> Let's look at what Paul said about this. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. He's talking about an offering in a church. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you'll be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. Now notice in verse 7 where it says you should not give in response to pressure. I once had someone use this verse to tell me I should never preach about giving at all. In fact, he left the church over it after he asked to be on the finance team, and I said no. <laughs> it's a gross misinterpretation of Paul's intention here. The point is that you shouldn't need to be pressured but in reality, Paul's doing his best to get these people to give here, isn't he? I mean, that's the whole point. He's trying to get them to, do a, to give a good offering. He's telling them they're going to be blessed if they do. Why else would he be writing this? Notice also the offering described in this passage is to be given through the church. 
the church at Corinth in this case, not to some other organization, not to just to individuals. Therefore, the promise that God here, this promise that we've heard about before, this promise that God will give you more to give when you give more, is actually a promise tied to giving through the local church. Hmm. So that's the answer to the question, what will faithful tithing mean for my life? It'll mean that you will wind up with more to give. That's what it says, isn't it? <laughs> Pure and simple. God gives more seed to those who plant more seeds. God will bless you with more if you're more generous with what you already have. I believe that. I believe that. I've seen it too many times. But some of you know that's really the more shallow answer to the question, right? The deeper answer to what's in it for you, which is a shallow question, but the deeper answer comes in two parts. One, heavenly treasure, heavenly treasure could be yours based on what you do here. I mean, just that principle by itself, which is all over the place in the Bible, heavenly treasure, meaning you'll be rewarded in heaven for your generosity on earth. That's the deeper answer. And the secondly, second part of the deeper answer is that you'll have a stronger and richer walk with Jesus in your life. Your relationship with Jesus will never be what it could have been if you don't tithe. Wow, did I just say that? Your relationship with Jesus won't be what it could have been if you don't tithe. Why? Because disobedience is not the way. Not the way. This is the way. I need some people know what I'm talking about there. This is the way. Disobedience is not the way. Walking with Jesus means obedience. I think a whole lot of people have stalled out in their walk with Christ because of disobedience in this area of finances. I've seen families revived. I've seen it. I've heard their testimonies when they decided. Revived when they decided to tithe. It was the, it was the hold up in their growth. It's where it started for them. I've seen it happen. Because it's basically an idol that we need to lay down if we're going to really follow Jesus. Bottom line, you can't lose when you're faithful to tithe. You can't lose. You want to debate about the Old Testament, whether or not, whatever. You can't lose if you just do it. Can't lose. You're promised temporal, spiritual, and eternal blessings if you will obey the Word of God in this area. It's as simple as that. Last question. How can I give my tithe? Now, I believe that in many churches, method is starting to get in the way of giving. We need to modernize our methods. There's a reason you basically can't find a business that doesn't take plastic. Newsflash, those from my generation, I get to count myself in the younger generation on this one, those from my generation on down never have cash. Never. I never have cash. And most of us don't. Why? Because we don't need it. And it's dirty. And, <laughs> and, and smells funny. Everywhere we go takes our debit or credit cards, or better yet, Apple or Google Pay, except for one place, the church. I mean, talk about not keeping up with the times. Churches are the worst. So we're trying to do what we can at Go Church. It would help if we had a shred of Wi-Fi or cellular in this room. But to know how to give, just look in your program. It's right there. You can text to give. We do that. You can, uh, you can give through our website. You can set up online bill pay. That's what I do. Uh, plenty of ways. Uh, you can make it automatic. That's what I do for my tithe. It doesn't bother me to do that for my tithe because I see it as, as obedience. If I'm going to give some other kind of offering, maybe I, I don't want it to be automatic. But with the tithe, it just helps me make sure that I'm in line. Um, 
let me wrap up. A bunch of information. A um, bunch of stuff most of, some of us probably really just as soon not know or hear. Um, obviously, this message is for followers of Jesus, okay? If you're still kicking the tires, you're not a Christ follower, or you've not committed to this church family for that matter, you're basically absolved uh, for now from needing to respond. You have just observed a family powwow. This has been the coach challenging his team. This is a preacher preaching to the choir. Only some of the choir actually did need to hear it. You may have enjoyed watching others squirm, and that's okay. On the other hand, if this is your church home, Andy, (laughs) that's what you get. That's what you get. If this is your church home and you aren't currently tithing, I'm not backing down. I believe that's what the Bible teaches. You need to hear the call to make a change. So, what now? Well, any financial decision of this magnitude is probably going to be made around your kitchen tables, right? So I'm asking you to have those conversations. Sit down, discuss it, pray about it. See if God is calling you to make a significant change. If so, then follow through with what you decide. And I believe ultimately you'll be glad you did. You know, the power of a church is seen in what we can do together. It's what we can do together. What, what could we do together if everyone tithed? I'm not sure we can imagine Take just the median household income times 10% times the number of families who call this church home, and you would not believe the resources we would have to advance the kingdom of God. Wouldn't it be fun to find out what we could do if more of us were faithful in giving? The world needs the church to do more. The Northwest needs the church to do more. Ridgefield and this region needs the church to do more. When God's people obey Him in tithing, the church will be able to do more. Let's pray. Father, hard message. Um, Lord, there's, there's, there's grace and um, there's, there's the ability to disagree even if somebody uh, is in that place today with me. It's okay. I just pray that you would work in our lives. You use your word to do that one way or another. Um, you sharpen us. If we don't make any changes, nothing will change. So maybe this is one of those areas where we need to hold hands with Jesus a little tighter. Just help each family to know what you're saying, not what I'm saying, but what you're saying. And lead us forward as a church. I'm so excited about 2020. I'm so excited about everything you're doing, um, that we're going to have space to grow um, just, I just know that this is going to be an awesome year and I look forward to it our, our faith and our trust is in you you lead us, you guide us, you provide and we leave it all in your hands with complete surrender and God I pray for any, any person who's still not really understood, not really put their trust in Jesus not understood that, that, that you have a claim on our lives that you're, you're God that following Jesus means something. It's not just a, a, a punch card to get into heaven, that, that because of who you are and because of what you've done for us, we owe you our lives. And it means walking with you. It means following you. It means real stuff. 
It means we do some stuff that other people don't do. It means we don't do some stuff that other people do. It means real stuff for our families, Lord. Get hold of us. Let us be real in how we follow you in real ways, not just talk. And um, just continue to grow us as individuals and as a church. For those who don't know you, Lord, I just pray you just continue to reach out to them that they might know both your love and that what it really means to live is to live for you. You're our God. You made us. Keep working, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.